Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. It's Doug Maurice, it's Shahan Jeharaja, and it's a special guest this week. He's been on the show before. We love having him on. It's Mike Rodak of AL.com, who was the perfect person to have on. Because what are we what we are discussing, analyzing here is when a great football program is good at basketball, or when a great basketball program is good at football. How do you do it? How frequently does it happen? What has to happen? Can the programs feed off each other? Do they take away from each other? All those kind of things. We have some history to research here, but we have this Alabama basketball season right in front of us that did end earlier than people expected, but they were the number one seed overall in the NCAA basketball tournament. They had a remarkable year. And Mike, we want to delve into that, but also we we sort of, I don't want to dispatch with something, but there was such a complicating factor to how people viewed talked about, enjoyed this Alabama basketball season related to the murder of a woman in Alabama that was had some relationship to the Alabama basketball program. There was some controversy at the end of the season. Was Nick Saban making a reference to something? And that that's a non-sports discussion. So maybe we can talk about that briefly because I, I am curious to hear your perspective on like how did Alabama fans who love Alabama view all of this? But it got very real mm-hmm. this basketball season so just what was the whole thing like this alabama basketball season the success on the court and then the terrible tragedy off the court yeah i mean it certainly was a season i won't forget obviously a lot of people around here won't forget because they had some huge wins at the beginning of the season remember they won on the road they beat houston when they were number one uh, a couple weeks earlier they had beaten north carolina when they were number one so those were two number one wins that this team had and you know the first four or five games of conference play. I think they were outscoring teams by over 100 points. It was like 20, 25, 30. There were some games in the Vanderbilt game. They were up, you know, it was a 57-point game. Like, they were just beating the stuffing out of teams in January. And you could sense that this team had a ton of potential. Um, They all seemed to be gelling really well. There's great chemistry. Everything was sort of kumbaya. And then all of a sudden, Sunday, January 15th, that, 6 p.m., whatever it was, I look at my phone and there's a video of Darius Miles, who's, you know, a bench player, sort of back of the bench player, only played a few minutes a game, walking out of the courtroom um, because he had just been charged with murder, which, you know, that was, I think, shocking to everybody. 
Um, and that was kind of the story for the next couple weeks after that was just Darius Miles in that whole situation and his involvement and how that all happened. Um, and we kind of heard rumblings behind the scenes about, you know, there are other players there. Brandon Miller's name came up, but we didn't really know for sure until it came out in court, which was really a full month later. That was February 21st uh, when, when Miller's name came out in court. And after that, things just exploded in terms of um, things being contentious between Alabama and the media, things being contentious between media and the fans. Um, there was a lot of outside media, you know, national media that came in. And obviously there was a lot of questions asked and a lot of, you know, rightful scrutiny uh, that went into the whole situation. And, you know, that really didn't end until a couple of days ago, you know, when this team was knocked out of the tournament and, uh, now everybody sort of has a, a chance to decompress, but um, you know, fans certainly there's 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 a segment of Alabama fans in general that are very hardcore basketball fans, um, and they will sometimes criticize the rest of the fan base for being fogs, f o g, football only gumps. Um, and <laughs> what? No oh my god! I learned a new word on this podcast <laughs> oh, today. Fogs yeah. around here. So you have Alabama <laughs> basketball fans, and, and really there's Alabama sports fans in general, softball fans, et cetera. But there's always an accusation that tends to get lobbed against the, the football-only fans um, because they only care about football. They don't pay attention to basketball. And, again, there's a segment of fans that really, really care about basketball that I think got really defensive about this team. Um, and, again, there's a lot that went into the whole Brandon Miller story in terms of there was no charges against them. There's legally nothing he can be charged with. There's no discipline from the school. There was no, there's nothing the school could really stand on in terms of discipline that was out there that we know of. And fans, again, were really making sure that got out there. And there's, again, national media that were, were coming in and, um, you know, calling for Brandon Miller suspension and things like that. So it got very kind of back and forth contentious. And, you know, local media to some extent was kind of in the middle of that. But, Again, it's sometimes you lose sight of, of the overall picture, too, where there's, you know, a, a, there's a criminal case. There's a lot of um, legal reporting that goes into it. And then there's the basketball end of it as well. And we were just trying to cover the basketball end of it because this team was good and they had a chance. And, um, you know, they won the SEC tournament. They won the SEC regular season title. They won the first two games of the NCAA tournament. Then they go to Louisville and just they laid an egg in the second half. I mean, they went up by nine and then in, in the span of maybe six or seven minutes, they were down by nine. So that's an 18 point swing. And, and that was really their season right there. So Shahad, from the outside, the thing that is, again, the complicating factor is I'm just really curious. How much do Alabama fans care about football? Can Alabama, or excuse me, care about basketball? How much do Alabama fans care about football? What? A lot. A lot. Like, what? And that's it for the show. A lot. <laughs> How much do they care about basketball? How good can, should Alabama basketball be? And we didn't get sort of a clean look at that this year, Shahan. Somebody lost their life. That's what matters the most here. But I, in trying to see, well, what could this mean for Alabama basketball down the line? We're going to have to probably get another. Not that they weren't good before with Nate Oates. We might have to get a little removed to really get a handle on this because once you have something like this happen in the middle of a season, it just changes the lens in a way that you no longer have a clear look at it. Yeah, most definitely. I, I do think that we can 
take half a step back, maybe look at the the big picture of the sport. You know, Alabama basketball, I do think, has been rising over the past couple of years. We've obviously seen, like you said, since Nate Oates took over, uh, I I think a pretty consistent sort of growth. Uh, Obviously, people remember back a couple of years ago when Colin Sexton was with the team. It was it was a really good team back then and, and has only gotten better since then. Um, and I think that one trend to really keep an eye on, and, and maybe this is where it slightly intersects with football too, is I think that that people and teams in general are starting to realize that the barrier to entry for basketball is maybe a little lower than they realized. Uh, you know, we see teams, uh, uh, UConn is obviously a good example. This is a team that's won a bunch of titles in the past couple of decades, but, you know, c- can... Alabama as an athletic department compete financially with UConn and basketball? Of course they can, right? And, and we're starting to, I think, see in the SEC, obviously we've seen in the Big Ten, we've seen in the Big 12, uh, a level of investment increasing in basketball because the reality is, you know, look, I my job is to cover football all the time for CBS Sports, but uh, most of, uh, you know, most fans, like, cool, you know, we'll take an off-season practice report, but but having teams that you can really be invested in through the fall, through the winter, through the spring, I think is becoming more and more of a priority at some of these big-time programs. And so you're starting to see, you know, at Alabama uh, specifically, obviously, we're starting to see huge success on the basketball court and huge investment on the basketball court. We're starting to see this at Michigan, right? We've seen Michigan in the past couple of years under John Beeline and Juwan Howard have some really good teams. We're starting to see this. Uh, you know, we had a moment at Ohio State a while back. We had moments at Florida. I think this is a trend, and I think that this is something uh, that athletic departments are realizing is a winner. Um, but but also, I think television is starting to realize is a winner, too. And, and one other piece that I'll throw on to that, because this has kind of been my crusade for like the past 24 hours, is I think that, especially in the SEC, we're starting to see that women's basketball is also a huge part of this as well. You know, we saw uh, the the Iowa versus Louisville game get more viewers on ESPN than 10 out of 12 Iowa football games. Now, obviously, the opportunity to turn on Iowa and and know that you don't have to watch Brian Ferentz is certainly a huge draw for any fan base. <laughs> but uh, but I do think that uh, that we are starting to see that, you know, look, football is the driver. We all know that. That's why the Big Ten and SEC have these giant contracts. But I, I think that there is real value to be found whenever you do invest big in basketball. We were a win away from two Big Ten SEC matchups in the women's basketball Final Four, which would have been really interesting. It was Virginia Tech's a one seed. They beat Ohio State, so it was Virginia Tech, LSU, and it's Iowa-South Carolina. This Iowa-South Carolina Final Four game for the women is a – that is as good as it gets. That is a huge thing. Those are two major schools, and I am curious, and I don't know exactly how it would look, but could we see a world where – and I think we would have examples with Tennessee and UConn, what they've been historically and i don't know what the answer to this is what did did it help those athletic departments did it help tennessee football and men's basketball that pat summit was a legend did it help uconn men's basketball and football that gino Ariema is a legend could caitlin clark help brian ferentz right <laughs> could that happen what can don staley do for shane beamer i i don't know and that's not what we're doing today. It's probably worth doing maybe sometime down the road. So let, let me ask. I'm going to give you guys a little trivia question here. 
the, the way that I try to analyze some of this stuff historically is I just looked at the, the NCAA list of all-time wins in these sports in trying to find the definition of a blue blood. And it's not a bad way to do it because you can see the two lines. Most all-time wins in men's basketball, most all-time wins in football. And then for a, sh- a shorthand for at least part of it, the expansion in 1985 of the NCAA men's basketball tournament to 64 teams, now we're at 68. That's the birth of the modern tournament. Right, where now it's March Madness, all these schools get in, Villanova be stories, everybody goes crazy. So I use that as a line on the same. We've had 38, because we missed a year, 38 tournaments since we expanded, right? Since 85. That's 152 opportunities to make the final four. For anybody out there who's a sports fan who's not good at math, that's 38 times four. I did it on a calculator. I didn't do it in my head. I did it on a calculator. Of those 152 finals four spots, I'm gonna give you guys. The 14 all-time winningest college football programs who play major college football right now. I didn't put, like, Yale in there. No offense to Yale. Or take offense. I don't care, Yale. I'm not counting you. We're talking about actual stuff here now. Here are the schools. All-time football wins. Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Notre Dame, Texas, Oklahoma, Penn State, Nebraska, Georgia, USC, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn, and Clemson. Mike, I'm fairly comfortable with those 14 being some kind of a definition of a modern day college football blue blood. Maybe there's somebody who's not in there that should, but like, do we feel kind of comfortable with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair list. Um, in terms of like basketball too, I feel like at least half of those, I would say have respectable programs. Um, I mean, yeah, Auburn, no, yeah. We've seen it in, in the state of Alabama where Auburn has risen up in basically the same time as Alabama, maybe a couple of years before with Bruce Pearl, and they go to the Final Four, and then a couple of years later, Alabama goes to the Final Four. I mean, UAB's playing in the NIT championship game. Um, you can't just pigeonhole one school into a particular sport. I think there's a lot of schools on that list that have had a lot of basketball success, uh, especially in recent years. So then let's play this game. So that's 152 spots. Those 14 schools I just named, Shahan. How many of those 152 final four spots do you think those 14 schools have taken since 1985? So I know Oklahoma has a couple. I know that Texas has one. Uh, who? See, see, then we start going down the list. I, I know Ohio State has a couple. I, I don't think it's going to be that many, though. I, I think out of 138, I'm going to go with 17. It's 38 tournaments. It's 152 spots. Right. You say 17. Mike, what's yeah. your guess? I would go a little bit lower. Auburn, Michigan, I believe. And I'm, yeah, Michigan I'm played in my, a couple of title games. Stretching my memory here a little bit, but I would guess 12 would be the number I'll no, go with on are, that. That's good. It's right in between you guys. It's 15. Okay. So okay. That's, okay. those are good guesses. So that's five Michigans, five Michigan Final Four since 85. 89 won the title, 92, 93. Uh, they had these five guys who came together at the same time and they wore long shorts. They were kind of famous. And oh, then, wait, wait, wait t- time out. Which team are we talking about? I don't know. The the excellent <laughs> the excellent five, I think they call them. Uh, and then, uh, like, like you said, John Beeline, right? This this modern little yeah. little run that Joe Howard has carried on. It's five Michigan, three Oklahoma, Oklahoma in 88, 02, and 16, three Ohio State, in 99, 07, and 12, two LSU in 86 and 06, and then one each for Texas in 03 
and Auburn in 19. Mm -hmm. So that's 15 spots of the 152. Here are the top football programs of the top 14 who have not made a Final Four since 1985. Alabama, who has never made a Final Four. Notre Dame, Penn State, Nebraska, Georgia, USC, Tennessee, and Clemson. So I think there's an interesting point here, Mike. You said a multi- many of those schools do have respectable basketball programs, right. and they do. We can have some kind of discussion of there is a part of me that wants to stop and say Michigan has more wins than any football program in history. And also at times they have absolutely slapped when it comes to basketball. Yeah. Like how do they do this? Do we at times not give Michigan credit for being like an absolute power at times in both of these sports. And then it's like Oklahoma, well done. Ohio State, well done. But then there's some schools that just aren't there. How much, Mike, do people care that Alabama's never made a Final Four? Was that a thing that was constantly talked about this season or not really? Not really. I mean, it was mentioned certainly when we're you know writing our stories about here's how far this team can go and all that. But it's always... There's that in between where, you know, just because you're not making a final four doesn't mean you have a bad basketball program. I think, as I mentioned, right. that sort of hardcore group of Alabama basketball fans will uh, will love to remind you about that. But I think I saw a stat a couple of days ago. Um, Kevin Skarbinski writes for us at, at AL.com kind of had the most wins for teams or most NCAA tournament appearances for teams that have not made a final four. And Alabama was right there at the top three or four. So they've always you know, sort of been there. Yeah, they've hung around. It's not like they've been bad in basketball for too many stretches of their history. Um, they've made the Sweet 16 10 times now, and they have a one in nine record in the Sweet 16, which I think is the worst of any big school out there, um, according to, you know, Skarbinski's research. So they've been there. They've been in the tournament. They've been competitive. They have the second most wins in SEC history. And it's just getting to that final step. And, you know, that's, again, been a topic because Nate Oates actually brought it up. It was like early February, uh, and they were rolling at that time. You know, they maybe had one SEC loss, and he sort of mentioned, like, look, just because you lose in the NCAA tournament doesn't mean you had a bad season. It doesn't erase everything that you do, um, and that it requires a little bit of a luck to win six games in a row, and, you know, the other team needs to not get hot shooting you need to not have a bad shooting game a lot of things can happen you know throughout the course of the season things happen too good teams get upset all the time in college basketball in december january february by a worse team and if that happens in march your season's over um but basically he said to judge a team solely by how it does in the ncaa tournament is short-sighted uh was the word that he used so again it all kind of goes back to not making a final four, is that the end all be all? And I think he even told his players, this is not final four or bust. Um, can you still have a good season? Can you still have a memorable season? Can you still have a successful season? And those are words that he, as Oates and, and players used after they lost to San Diego State. They were still sitting there and saying, we had a great season. We were successful this year. And there's no final four. There's no NCAA championship. There's no elite eight even which for a number one overall seed, I think by any measure is disappointing, but it just comes back to how do you judge it all? And is it all about final fours? Is FAU, San Diego, are those two out of the best four teams in college basketball this year? Or was Kansas better than them? Was Houston better than them? Was Alabama better than them? 
I think UConn, you can safely say, is probably one of the best four. They smashed Alabama earlier this year, but the Final Four is not always the best four teams. And that's the uh, the nuance or, or the complication, do I think, to college basketball that's probably a little bit different than college football. Because I think you can safely say each year with maybe a little bit of debate that the playoff is the best four teams. But because of the much wider range of, of the tournament in basketball, a lot of weird things can happen. And I certainly have this year. So, so I have a question here. So I think in football, we have come to a point, uh, and for the record, this is one of the reasons I like, I think, the idea of the 12-team playoff. But I think that we've come to a point where we, as a sort of big collective, uh, you know, fan experience. We t- seem to diminish football down to just its champion. Where we're like the only thing that seems to matter is winning the championship. And so I actually got into this this discussion a, a little bit ago, right? So you have Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a team that's never won a championship, but they've played in two title games. They've been to multiple Final Fours. They are in the Elite Eight more than essentially everybody, right? Like, they don't have down years. It doesn't exist for them. They've made, I think it's a nine straight now, the second weekend. So that's crazy. And, but they don't have the title. Whereas for football, right, if, if you don't win the title, like, I, I feel like we view that as not success. I, I'm curious for... Alabama basketball fans who who came into this tournament as I would argue maybe the favorite in the field and they make the sweet 16 and are the overwhelming favorite in the field. Does that get viewed as success that you won the SEC and that you were a one seed and you had a good year or is there a, you know, success is winning the title. See, to me, just growing up, I always felt like it's about winning the title. It's about March. And that's kind of how college basketball is. It's just, you can beat number one ranked teams in November, December, but people are going to remember you for what happens in March. And that's why everybody's kind of has that jingle in their head from CBS. And that's why everybody watches like that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. That's, that's just what it is. And that's part of <laughs> Look that. Look at sport. you claiming the song. <laughs> I wrote it. People don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Shahan J. Haraja, uh, top seven assistant coaches to watch this year. Also, I wrote the song. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like, I mean, I'll, I'll, I will no. tell you what, like right up there on my bookshelf, I don't, I don't have a piece of the court from when Baylor went to the elite eight, right? right? I have a piece of the court from when they won the title. Like it is, it is such an interesting dichotomy because I do think that we do accept that the best team does not win the title in, in sure. basketball or in any really almost well, any other sport. I don't think that there's such a focus so, on. Yeah. So I, I I don't want us to get bogged down in uh, the difference between basketball success and football success, which is a worthy discussion. And Shahan, you and I have talked about the idea of maybe in football, we need to celebrate more than just national title or bust. You know who I don't think would be like, you know what? We had a great year. So who cares if we lost at the end? Nick Saban. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey, everybody come on in. Hey, you know what? 10 wins. That's a lot of wins. Congratulations on beating Kansas State. This is good enough. So the other thing, because the thing I want to get to again is like it's really zeroing in and on programs trying to be great at both because we agree, right? Basketball is different. There's 330 teams. March is nuts. One game and you're out. But at Duke, at Kansas, at the bluest of the blue bloods of the basketball programs, they know all that and they still aren't settling for it. Like they wouldn't. They wouldn't take it. So 
when I look at the programs that are high up both in basketball wins and football wins, the only school that's in the top 10 in both all time is Notre Dame because Notre Dame was, I don't know, they were playing games in the 1400s or something and they count, right? So Notre Dame's Notre Dame. And then the only other school is paying players back in the day too, before they were like, hey man, can you not do this? (laughs) (laughs) So then, and then Texas is the only school in the top 15. Texas in football wins is fifth and is 14th in basketball wins. But but the thing I, I'm wondering about here, right, is – and this is the nut, and we're going to get into the reverse discussion in a little bit. Mike, can – from observing this, can we get to a point – and this is – we're going to have a Wimp Sanderson discussion here. <laughs> he wore plaid coats. Can Alabama basketball elevate to being a similar, consistent type of winner – that Alabama football is not not the same level, not national title or bust, but can they in the hearts of the fans? So they're not a bunch of what are they? Foggy gumps, foggy gumps. I cannot believe that word. And you're just like, oh, yeah, no, what? It's like this is why we have to have people from different parts of the country. Can Alabama get there and stay there? Or is it too much to ask? Because and we'll just throw a wimp in here. As you said, 10 sweet 16s. In the history of Alabama basketball, Wimp Sanderson, 12 years the head coach, six of the 12, six of the 10 came under him. Mm-hmm. And two are with Nate Oates in 21 and 23. So the only other two are 76 and 04. So there are wide gaps here. Shout out to Wimp. We hope he's listening. So Wimp Sanderson had it going there, but Nick Saban, when Nick Saban got to Alabama, The first 10 years that Nick Saban was at Alabama, Alabama basketball made the NCAA tournament once. Alabama basketball, in the 16 years that Nick Saban's been the head football coach, their record in the SEC, they have seven years with a winning record in the SEC, eight with a losing year. One, they were 500. That is not a consistent winner. And that is not like, hey, well, at least you made the Sweet 16. That is the first 10 years he was there, one tournament for the basketball program. Mike, what you know about Alabama sports, is it a tough ask for Alabama basketball to be one of the 10 best programs in the country for the next decade consistently, or do you think they could do it? I think they can do it. I think, will they do it? We'll have to see. I think to, you know, the last three years, you can make the case that they certainly have been. Um, So that kind of gets them a head start towards that 10 because they were two years ago, you know, they were finished fifth in in both polls, you know, sweet 16, their number two seed. Last year, they had some big wins, lost in the first round of the tournament. And then this year, the number one overall seed. So I think each year they've been right there and collectively over the past three years are there. Now, can they stay there? You know, look, I think Nate Oates would be the first one to tell you they got a little bit of luck in getting Brendan Miller because Brendan Miller's dad went to Alabama. You know, there's sort of an emotional connection that he had to the school. Um, normally, a player like that historically doesn't go to Alabama. He goes to Kentucky or Duke or somewhere like that. Can you get the next Brendan Miller if you don't have that Alabama connection? Um, and NIL, obviously, is going to play a big role in that. And Alabama's NIL, I wouldn't say is a disadvantage by any means. I think it's ample, but it's not an advantage. Like, I don't think they're going to be outbidding too many people, um, you know, especially on the basketball end where they've been really getting after their donors to try to get money for a basketball arena and, you know, kind of emptying their pockets of the Alabama centric, the basketball centric Alabama donors. And then to ask them again, you know, we need some money 
you know, to make sure we get the best recruits um, basketball wise, that's, that's a big ask. And how much money of that over, how much of that money overlaps to football and what football is trying to do with NIL and, and stay ahead of Texas A&M and Florida and Tennessee and all those schools, you know, you, there's only so much money to go around. And so I do think NIL, again, I don't think it's a disadvantage for Alabama, but I think it is still a limiting factor if you're trying to get both of those teams, both of those programs consistently at a high level, basketball has been there to keep them there is going to continue to take recruiting and NIL and to keep football where it's been is also an open question because there's, there's a dip on the football line. I think anybody can see that Um, from where they were seven or eight years ago to where they are now, there's a slight dip. It's a slight dip on the, on the scale, but you know, they've won one out of the last five national titles. Now they're looking at a situation this year where they disaster, totally embarrassing. Right. It's different. (laughs) But to kind of keep football along the same path is going to take NIL. And to keep basketball along the same path upwards as it is, is going to take NIL. And is there enough NIL money to go around and to make everybody happy? uh, I think is still an open question here. And I'm going to I'm going to stop you there. Okay. And then I'm going to let you go. We're going to take a quick break. We're, we're getting right to the big picture question of this stuff. So everybody take a breath. We're going to tell you how it is. <laughs> well, Shahan is next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, Doug Marie, Shahan J. Haraja, Mike Rodak. We're talking about big time football programs, Big Ten basketball program, uh, big big time basketball programs. Can they be the same? Can they not? Shahan, go ahead with what you want to say, and then we're going to go real big picture here. Yeah, well, you ask, can Big Ten and big time basketball programs be the same thing? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, it's 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 not the 1840s anymore. But uh, I, I'm working on. I'm working on. I do think Big Ten men's basketball. In that conference, men's basketball, I think, might be the 16th best sport in the Big Ten right now. I'll get you that <laughs> finalized list at please some do, point. Please do. Please do. That's a, that's a podcast. Uh, no, one thing that when you look at uh, – let's take it back to our boy Wimp uh, back in the 80s. When you look at their success, right, you, you mentioned this whole big run of, of winning tournament games and, and making Sweet 16s. It starts in 82. You go, you know, making tournaments 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, uh, 90, 91, 92. And then they stop. You know what's happening in that same period? 1982, Bear Bryant retires. 1992, Gene Stallings wins a national title. They are perfectly, perfectly intersecting the time period where Alabama football is down and that and then even you look at then all of a sudden you go back and Nick Saban takes over and Alabama basketball doesn't do anything for a long long time now in these last three years 2021 2023 we finally have Alabama football and basketball being good at the same time although I guess we can have the conversation about football starting to deteriorate a little bit but it is kind of interesting you know it is so hard for these programs to 
excel at the same time. We've even seen this in some ways with Kentucky, right? Kentucky basketball. They were these superstars. Uh, and then, you know, Mark Stoops comes in and he starts taking some of the funding to build up some of the football side stuff and recruit at a higher level. And now you see them pushing for eight, nine, 10 wins. Well, Kentucky basketball hasn't won a title, has only won one title, I guess, under, uh, under John Calipari. And it was back in 2012, really before Mark Stoops had everything going. I'm curious for both of your perspectives, is it, especially at this highest level, at at this very top level, um, where you're trying to compete for true national championships in both of these sports, is it possible to be able to fund both these programs enough to actually consistently, because we have these moments, right? I mean, obviously, Doug, you were there in the mid-2000s whenever uh, whenever Ohio State was competing for national championships and Florida had their moment, but especially in 2023, is it possible to truly fund these programs enough to where you can, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, turn both programs into blue bloods? And at Kentucky, for example, did we not see sniping between right. football and Absolutely. basketball coaches kind Absolutely. of over this whole idea? So I think the history tells us you can't. The question is, can that change going forward? And then the question, I think, Mike, is like, what is it? So is it resources that every university, every athletic department, you have to choose what matters most? And then that's where you spend the money on coaches, on buildings, on practice gyms. That's where you point donors that direction. Is it is it the money? Is it what people care about? Is it and is it more like of a perception thing? This is what our state, our fan base cares about and that permeates coverage which affects how recruits view it all those kind of things or is it is it something about the area that like the best players around here play one sport or the other that the best players in ohio play football the best players in indiana play basketball guess what indiana is a basketball blue blood ohio state is a football blue blood so we have the history and we'll do a little bit of that history that we have not seen programs be consistently great at both you have the lens of alabama mike i have the lens of ohio state from your perspective what do you think is the main reason maybe holding back big rich athletic departments and universities that care about sports why is it hard to be great at both football and men's basketball yeah i don't think you can force the fan interest part of it i think a lot of that is how people grew up sort of what they paid attention to when they were young and what was important to them, what was talked about. And then that shapes how they are later in life. And if they happen to have a lot of money, that shapes where that money goes. And, you know, I I don't have an inside knowledge of how the donor, you know, how all those break down. Are they specifically saying this has to go to basketball? Are they specifically saying this has to go to football? Is it sort of open-ended? And a lot of that's changed with NIL now because now Alabama even launched its own NIL collective, um, not just you know the previous third-party one. This is an actual Alabama one where they're having subscriptions uh, for fans and how exactly that money, once it's taken in, is used. Does it have to go directed to basketball or football? Can, can people say, you know, I'm not sure on that yet, but I think in general, fans have kind of what they're, what's important to them. And so in Alabama, it's football. Like people grew up around football, you know, from a traffic standpoint on our website, football stories are almost invariably going to do better 
than basketball stories. You can write about the third string guard and it might do better than the basketball story. And it's just how it is here. That's very hard to change if you're Greg Byrne or anybody associated with Alabama. So you kind of have to follow along with that. And if they want to give all their money to build more suites at Bryant Denny or to, you know, give NAL to football players or to give Nick Saban a raise or to do a new locker room or new weight room, then that's sort of what you have to do. I don't know if you can force it where those people are then giving money to basketball to bring basketball up. And if you do that, there's an opportunity cost that's lost on the football side. So it does kind of have to be one or the other, unless somehow you could duplicate all the money that's coming in. And again, I just, I think you just kind of have to let it go organically. And if there are people I would say that seem to be more interested in basketball lately, those fogs that always pay attention only to football. I think there's more of them that have tuned in more to basketball, but if the team's not getting to the level in the NCAA tournament that gets people super excited, then, you know, can you still bring in the same sort of money on the basketball on those? Those are all questions that I would like, you know, answers to as well. I'm not sure I have them, but um, yeah, I think the overlying point is a dollar is a dollar. And if the dollar is going to football, then it's not going to basketball. If it's going to basketball, then it's not going to football. And that's unless you could find $2 instead, then I don't know how you get around that. I think one question that I have heading forward, because the reality is, uh, like you said, it's always going to be opportunity cost when it comes to dollars. Well, we are in the Big Ten and SEC about to reach a point where we are working with so much money that like, it feels criminal, the fact that, <laughs> that we're going to have this kind of money flowing into supposed academic institutions to deal with sports. But I, I actually think that one thing that'll be interesting to follow heading forward is the idea, not just a financial opportunity cost, but like you said, I think more of the like fan interest, the focus, because the reality is, I think that especially in basketball, you can build something great without true focus and attention, I guess you could say. But I think that is very hard to reach that next level, the elite level, without focus and attention. Because mm -hmm. the reality is, you know, I mean, again, I, I bring it up a lot. I, I went to Baylor and, um, you know, I, I will tell you what, the stadium that they have there sucks. It absolutely sucks. And for a long time, fans didn't really show up to the stadium. They actually showed up more for women's basketball, as they should, because they had a great women's basketball team. But... Eventually, the staff manages to convince a couple kids to come in and they eventually go and make some good decisions and win a title. But now it's like, OK, well, we have to build a new stadium. Right. And, and so you have to keep that focus, I think, and make a decision as an athletic department because you can't pick everything. You just can't. And and I think, again, it, it's even more than having the amount of money or anything else. I think it is priority. You know, one of the things that I heard a lot whenever Kim Mulkey decided to leave for LSU was that she was not happy that other people were getting the kind of priority that she used to get in the athletic department. So managing personalities is a big part of it as well. It, there's just a lot of factors, I think, that ultimately become at odds with each other. And, you know, we, we have examples, especially in the SEC of great baseball programs, you know, baseball understands that they're taking a backseat. They they understand their role in the greater atmosphere of the athletic department. I think that if you are the coach at, you know, uh, at whatever school and you look across and you see Kentucky focusing on football and putting their resources primarily into football, it it becomes hard not to have a wandering eye, I think. So, history is one thing. 
And history matters here. We're citing history. But I do think really what we're talking about here is culture. And history affects culture. But sometimes you can outrun your history, but you can't outrun your culture because history is in the past and culture lives. Culture lives right now. You can't pass history down. You can teach people about history, but you pass down culture. So that's, Mike, that's what you're talking about. There's something ingrained in people. It's what I grew up with. It's what my parents and grandparents talked about. It's what mattered to them. It's what matters to me. So I think that's what leads us to people in Alabama and Ohio care about football. People in Kentucky and Kansas and Indiana care about basketball. So what has to happen to be great at both? And now I will cite the athletic department that has been great at both better than anybody. And what happened there? Michigan football has been good since they sewed a pig into an oval, right? Michigan football is history and culture. And then listen, Johnny Orr made a national championship in the mid-70s at Michigan. They had a little bit of stuff. He didn't sustain it there. 89, that's Glenn Rice for Neil Robinson, national title for Michigan. We get it. But what happened? Do I think it permeates Michigan basketball now? The head coach is one of the five guys. Michigan basketball got a culture change. The Fab Five wasn't a good basketball team. The Fab Five changed the fabric of sports. They changed fashion. They changed music and sports. They changed haircuts. They changed how you handled your business. And if we look now, man, hey, Michigan basketball. Well, they got to two of the Final Fours themselves. And I think John Beeline and Juwan Howard, there's a part of them Listen to a Michigan basketball broadcast. I bet they bring up the Fab Five. Today, it's the mid-90s. It's 30 years ago. They're relevant. That's what I think you have to do. So if you're, and we're going to get to the opposite side, but I think, Mike, okay, congrats, Nate Oates. Because here's the other thing, like Florida, you look at, and Urban Meyer talked about this a lot when he was at Ohio State. Billy Donovan and Urban Meyer at Florida. They're there at the same time, and they're doing it big time at the same time. Florida wins a national title in both sports the same year. Beats Ohio State in both national championships the same year. How? Extraordinary individual coaches. Billy Donovan, extraordinary. He's in the NBA. Urban Meyer, extraordinary. Went on and won a national title at Ohio State. What'd you say? Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Hey, they're going to make the play-in. Billy Donovan will rise from the play-in game to the NBA finals. They're going to go from 10 seed to winning the East, and Shahan's going to be so happy. But like those are – but they have not sustained that excellence because I don't know that Florida necessarily on either side, Florida probably in basketball and football is not, isn't a blue blood in either, which created opportunity because when they had great individual coaches, they could coexist because nobody had, nobody felt like ownership of, Hey, I'm the big dog on campus. I'm number one because you know, well, Steve Spurrier was good, but like Florida basketball had done a little bit before. Right. And so then urban and Billy rose at the same time, dominated together. They both left. And now Florida's fine. Like, they're okay. But they're not what they once were. But I almost think what Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan, maybe that would have been harder to happen at Alabama or Indiana or Kansas where there was a clear number one program. I don't think it was cleared out at Florida. But they also couldn't sustain it. So, Mike, tell Nate Oates, hey, congratulations on winning. If you want to sustain it, you need to change the culture of the state of Alabama. Good luck. Because otherwise, I do think somebody has to get priority, and that is ingrained in grandmas and grandpas, and that's hard to change, man. And the one thing Nate Oates might have going for him there 
is where Nick Saban is in his career. Yep. Because Nick Saban's 71. He'll be 72 later this year. It's not going to be a ton more years that he's coaching in Alabama. And I think we can all agree when Nick Saban's gone from Alabama football, because of who Nick Saban is, there's a good likelihood that they're not the same team. And what level they're at after that, we'll have to see. But, you know, there's an opportunity for Nate, who is, I think he's 49 this year. He's got plenty of runway left. He just signed a new extension with Alabama to kind of become that guy on campus. I don't know if he's going to win six national titles, but I think within a couple of years, he might be sort of the most revered figure. If he can get a little bit further in the tournament next year, keep winning, he's got a shot um, to kind of be ahead of the football coach at Alabama, whoever the next one is a few years down the road. Um, that, that certainly is within the realm of possibility, but you kind of saw it a little bit, you know, with that whole Saban Oats spat that never really was a spat. What, what was that? Was it a spat? Give the people who don't no, know about it. Friends, they're best friends. A little background. Yeah, I mean, I, Saban spoke little, to the team. No problem. Little spat, little spat background. Was it or was it not a spat? First, tell people what happened, Mike. Yeah, so it was the Tony Mitchell, um, the Alabama freshman football player who was arrested a couple weeks ago during spring break. And so Saban comes out his first press conference of spring practice and is talking about Mitchell being suspended, which that was kind of what they planned on him saying was, you know, Mitchell suspended and um, no team activities and all that. And then Saban from there kind of took it off to his own direction um, and basically told us what he told the team is kind of my understanding of it, which is just because in, in Mitchell's case, he was arrested for you know, he's going 141 miles an hour after fleeing the police. There was a whole bunch of weed in the car. There was a gun that his passenger had that his passenger was charged with. And so Saban basically said, there's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time, that you're responsible for whatever situation you're putting yourself in, which you can kind of surmise. And I don't know this as a fact that Tony Mitchell is probably telling Saban, well, it was my passenger's drugs. It was my passenger's gun. Like, it's all his problem. And so I think Saban's message in return there was, well, you put yourself in that situation. Now, knowing Saban and having covered him for four years now, I, I believe Alabama when they say he doesn't, it wasn't something, he wasn't aware of Nate Oates' comments. And Nate Oates obviously got a lot of flack after the Brandon Miller thing for saying Miller was in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And I truly don't believe that Saban had a ton of knowledge about that. Saban does kind of live within his own little bubble. He's not on Twitter. He's not on social media. Um, there's a couple people, his wife is one of them. He has one friend that sort of give him the news and what people are telling, what people are saying about him. But I really don't think he's consuming what we consume, uh, as people in the media or just, you know, fans out there Like he's not consuming all that. So in this case, I actually don't believe that it was a direct shot at Oates by any means. You can still compare what he said versus what Oates said and kind of draw your own conclusions there. But you know, so Alabama reacted, you know, it was very obvious with the, the photo shoot the next day when Saban goes to practice and talks to him. And that was very, you could tell was, you know, it was very intentional, uh, staged, in, in fact. But I, I truly don't think there's any bad blood between them. But I think the most interesting part about that whole thing was, and this is anecdotal, just based on show, social media, for the people that did, Alabama fans that did believe it was some sort of slight from Saban towards Oates, there was a surprising amount of people that sided with Oates, which for anybody who's been around Alabama the last 15 years, Nick Saban walks <laughs> on water. There's nothing Nick Saban can do that's wrong. Uh, there's nothing you can say that's wrong. It's very rare that there's any anybody siding against him. So the 
the fact that there were some people out there that sided with Oates in sort of this imagined, perceived, you know, battle was interesting to me. Uh, and just kind of how things changed because at that time, Alabama was cruising and, you know, they, everybody thought they were going to the final four. Obviously they didn't, but you know, when you look at Alabama that missed the playoffs last year in football and people are kind of saying, Hey, we're going to side with the basketball coach who's having a little bit more success right now. That was surprising to me. I don't know how, how much that permeated. Um, and obviously it's kind of a moot point because I don't think there was truly a, a dispute there, but. Just kind of seeing that was, you know, kind of raised an eyebrow a little bit. You know, so one program that ironically, I think, could kind of be somewhat of a model whenever that time does come. And it is, again, very ironic that I'm using this program. Is Auburn. I think oh, that I thought you were going to say Texas. I thought you were going to say Texas. <laughs> oh, what, a program that's never been competitive in football or basketball? I don't know about that. Um, so <laughs> I think, uh, but but seriously, I do think that... You know, Bruce Pearl is, in a lot of ways, the face of that athletic department. Nobody questions that football is the most important sport on Auburn's campus. Bruce Pearl does not question that. But he also knows his place in the pecking order at Auburn. He knows that he has, you know, the athletic department's ear. And that he's sort of, in a funny way, the the statesman of the athletic department, the dean of the athletic department. And Hugh Freeze is coming in, and certainly Hugh Freeze is going to have his own perspective on things, too. But so far, it also seems like he understands that, that it is not good for Auburn. It is not good for my football program to get into a war with the basketball program, because lots of people here love basketball as well. And, you know, another another thing I'm going to be keeping a close eye on is, you know, we are talking about the elite, elite, elite football programs. You know, we're talking about the Ohio States. We're talking about the Alabamas right now. Uh, You know, a program that certainly is nowhere near the caliber of of these two programs, but that I think has balanced these things at a pretty high level, is San Diego State. San Diego State, playing in the Final Four right now, uh, just a year ago was the Mountain West in the Mountain West title game. They, I think, have done a really good job of managing these things. And and I do think that a big part of it is it takes strong leadership from your athletic department. It takes, I think, a certain type of personality of head coach, uh, which Nick Saban might not be, just for the record. But, you know, I think it does take a, a type of head coach who does understand their role and and understand how they can maximize what both programs have as opposed to saying this is a zero-sum game but there are examples in you know when you do look in the maybe second tier of college football you know not the teams that aren't the once in a lifetime type blue bloods where you can i think balance some of this stuff you know I, i think uh you know Obviously, Clemson didn't make the tournament this year, but I think that Clemson basketball has done a good job under Clemson football of knowing its place, but also excelling. Uh, you know, I, I've mentioned Baylor, right? Baylor was a team that won the Big 12 back in 2021, and they won a national championship in basketball the same year, and they've been a competitive women's basketball team. I think that I think you can make that stuff happen, but you have to build it and structure it. And like you said, a big part of it does come down to fan culture. You have to have a fan base that is not going to take sides ultimately. And that is a very tough thing to do, especially at the elite football schools. Two examples here I want to cite. One is Penn State just had a great basketball season and lost its great basketball coach to Notre Dame. 
Why? Yep. Because Penn State basketball cannot break through there. I thought this was an opportunity. Spend all that TV money. Give the, pay the guy. Seventy-five Keep million him. coming in, man. He got seventy-five million. Now, Micah Shrewsbury has roots in Indiana. He went back to Indiana. That's hard to fight. But at some point, when is the Penn State football success and all this money gonna per, gonna filter into basketball and help basketball rise up? The other thing I'm curious about: Georgia basketball is in a dumpster right now. Georgia basketball has not made the tournament. Since 2015, Georgia basketball has made two Sweet 16s in history in 83 and 96. Georgia football is rolling. Let's see if there's any effect on Georgia basketball. Because at the moment, they basically took like the basketball coach Florida didn't want anymore and gave him a soft landing spot. So it's like, what are we doing? You know, they they took Tom Crean, but it was like after Tom Crean had been fired somewhere, when's Georgia basketball going to get somebody on the rise and say, okay, let's do this. And I do think like that's worth being on alert for because football is as good as it gets right now at Georgia. So let's keep this in mind. Let me let me wrap this up because I want to get to the opposite side of this. I want to talk about Kansas football. <laughs> hey, how come uh, say, Tom Allen can't? I guess the Kansas State. Look at Kansas State this year. They make the yeah, Sugar Bowl in football. They play Alabama. Kansas State basketball was great. But what you what you said about losing your coach, I think, proves true because if Jerome Tang continues to win at Kansas State, Jerome Tang's not going to be at Kansas State. He's going to be somewhere else. And so if you're that sort of program that historically is not great in one sport, and then you get a good coach and you start to play well, keeping that coach in that program is probably your biggest challenge. You know, bringing those two sports up to a, up to a good level. And, and we've talked about look at TCU. Mm-hmm. TCU makes the national title game. TCU had a great basketball team this year, but I, it's almost the Florida example to me. If you don't have a history of being lopsided, you have a chance, if you get the right coaches, to be good at both for a period. But can you sustain it? And I almost think long-term success in one makes that harder to do. So let's ask the money. Shahan, in a world where we see the sport splitting in half, where we see the power of the SEC and the expansion of it. We see the same, the power and the expansion of the Big Ten and all the money they're going to make. Should we in that world be on the lookout for more of this, for the teams in the SEC, regardless of their history and culture, being good at both? For teams in the Big Ten, regardless of their history and culture, being good at both, because can money make a difference for those number two programs at those schools, Sean? I think it can. But there are limits, Uh, you know, for example, you know, one that I think is very interesting is South Carolina, South Carolina, whenever they did make a coaching hire, Shane Beamer was not the highest paid coach on campus. It was Dawn Staley, the South Carolina women's basketball coach, who frankly is still dramatically underpaid because she's incredible. And so I, I think that where we see this probably is getting to competitiveness, right? Because there was a moment 10, 15 years ago where SEC basketball was a freaking joke. Like it was awful, awful, awful. It was Kentucky running through everybody. Then Auburn, you know, I I think that some of the Auburn is is spurred by, well, we can't beat Alabama in football. Let's also find something else to to really hang our hat on. Um, You know, we see Alabama start to invest. Florida has their moments. We see a moment with LSU, although we'll kind of have to wait and see what happens there. Um, Tennessee, for example, they make a great hire in Rick Barnes, and they've been uh, really successful. Arkansas is a program that's been successful in basketball before, uh, won a title in 94. So 
I think that we're going to see a push towards competitiveness. I think that we are going to end up in a position where out of 16 SEC teams or 16 Big Ten teams, 12-ish are hoping to make the tournament close to every year. But I do think that for most of them, that's going to be success. That making the tournament, having a chance to win a game is going to be success. The the big question will be, do we see investment to the to the perspective of actually pushing to be competitive nationally in the sport? And we've seen our first test of it, by the way, in Penn State, who you mentioned, and they said no. They decided not to. You know, they decided that we do not. And, and there, there's, I don't know there's if they decided. I think they might have tried, and it still didn't work. If you, I, I mean, I get it. And Notre Dame is Notre Dame, and Indiana is Indiana. Uh, you know, and obviously that that's a priority for Shrewsbury. Maybe it's the case. I don't know that you can convince me that Penn State couldn't have overpaid to keep them. I, I well, don't here's know the point you, because yeah. it, it's getting to the nut of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a money versus culture situation. Right. And sure. can you spend enough money to overcome the history and the culture? So we don't know the ins and outs. Dave Jones of PennLive.com was saying, I think, that Penn State like made its case. Like didn't just say, oh, well, good luck, Micah. Like they tried to bye keep bye. What does that mean? Do they offer him $15 sure. million dollars a year? Probably not. But I do. that's what we're getting at, Shahan, because what you're talking about sure, is sure. all this money coming in, can it overcome the culture and the yeah. history? And, and And I think that you know, again, there's lots of context. In Penn State, I mean, when you're talking about sort of the the worst historic basketball programs of these Big Ten schools, like Penn State is up there among them, obviously. This has not been a priority historically. Uh, so, you know, it, it is one example. But I do think that that coaches, yes, will go for money. And I think, I think it's in football, too. Coaches, yes, will move for money. But they also want to know that they are going to be prioritized. They're going to want to know that they're a fit. They're going to want to know that they have a pathway to actually succeeding on the field or on the hardwood. And so I, I think that we are going to see a situation where the the middle class of the SEC and Big Ten is going to be much better than what it has been historically. Will we see a situation where you know, like we have in, in women's basketball, where I do think it's more possible, where, like you said, we were almost in a position where it was two SEC and two Big Ten teams of women's basketball. I, I don't think so, because there will be schools like UConn that invest primarily in this sport. There will be schools like Kansas, who with Power 5 resources invest primarily in this sport. Um, now, again, in a 68-team tournament, it's it's always possible that you just find lightning in a bottle and put a team together. But I, I do think that I, I do think that we need to judge what exactly success is at these middle tier Big Ten and SC programs, because I do think that money is one huge, humongous argument. And I think that we can make the money work. But priority is, I think, even bigger of a question. All right, we're going to flip it. We're going to talk about these great basketball powers. Can they rise up in football? We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Doug LaMarie, Shahan J. Haraja, Mike Rodak. I looked at the all-time winningest basketball programs. I kicked out St. John's. I don't even know if they have a football team. So number one is Kansas. All-time wins. Kansas one, Kentucky two, North Carolina three, Duke four, Temple five. Good for Temple. Syracuse six, um, Temple five, Syracuse six, UCLA seven. I think when I think bluest of the blue bloods in college basketball, I think Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, UCLA. Yeah. That's where I go. And Indiana, probably Indiana, but they've sucked in basketball for like 30 years now. Like post Bob Knight, again, sometimes we've talked about this. It's hard to, is it a person or is it a, is it a program? I don't know. It might have just been Bob Knight. So then St. John's is in there, Indiana, Cincinnati, Purdue, Illinois, and then Arizona's in the top 15. I wanted to talk about Arizona. I think like the modern day Arizona is a decent example of with what Lute Olson did there, like real basketball priority and football's trying to catch up. So here's what I did. I looked at the programs, those big time basketball programs that also play power five football. Last 38 years since 85, we're using that, right? This is a final four shorthand. I have bowl games. I have winning records in those 38 years. But let's do this first, Mike. Finishing in the top 10 of the final AP poll in football. In the last 38 seasons for these basketball powers. Ready? Kansas, two. Kentucky, zero. North Carolina, two. Duke, zero. Syracuse, two. UCLA, five. Indiana, zero. Purdue, zero. Arizona, one. And also, by the way, shout out Cincinnati, which is like up there in all-time basketball wins. They're 11th all-time in basketball wins. Yes, that's like a strange playoff, opinion. man. They've been through. Like, what? Do, were we sleeping on Cincinnati being an absolute <laughs> athletic powerhouse? Well, Why did Luke Fickle leave? That that's the funny thing is that whenever realignment happened and the Big East sort of folded in its in its old form, Cincinnati and and actually this might lead into a little bit more of our conversation, but Cincinnati kind of said, "Okay, it's really cool that we were good at at basketball, but like if we're gonna go anywhere." We have to be good at football. And so you kind of actually saw disinvestment in the, in the basketball program to benefit football, especially after Luke Fickle arrived. So I, I think that especially in these realignment worlds, when you have programs like North Carolina, Duke, and even Kansas and uh, all these programs that are kind of on the outside right now of the big two, I, I wonder if that changes. Yeah, they had Oscar Robertson, right? It's like Cincinnati basketball. Oh, yeah, that guy's that's pretty like a good. Real thing. Yeah, Bob yeah. Huggins, like, that's a real thing. But then they really – you look what they've done. The success – the consistent success of, of Cincinnati football to be able to run through great coaches and keep winning is a little bit remarkable. But the bigger point here, Mike, is this. I think we are all very accustomed, and we expect Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse, UCLA, and Indiana to stink at football. We, I don't think we bat an eye. So we just witnessed Alabama, football monster Alabama, have great basketball success. Can we ever imagine the flip? What Nate Oates is doing with Alabama basketball. Can we envision not just being good, not Mark Stoops good at Kentucky. Like real, hey, I think these guys would have a chance to win a national title. At Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse, UCLA, Indiana. Would we ever imagine that, Mike, or is that just impossible? Because when you're a basketball blue blood, you're never going to compete at the top of football. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to what defines success. Because obviously, Oates hasn't won a national title at Alabama, hasn't come close. So 
can they replicate Oates's success? Can a basketball school replicate Oates's level of success in football? I think yes. And I think it's probably especially true starting next year when a 12 team playoff comes in, because look at what Lance Leipold did at Kansas last year. Can they get into the playoff, maybe win a first round playoff game and start to become one of those teams that's in that mix? Could I mean, North Carolina's already kind of been there a little bit uh, with Mac Brown. I, they could be in the playoff, a 12 team playoff. I think it's perfectly realistic to uh, predict North Carolina would be in that. Do probably less so. I think the resources football wise aren't there. Um, UCLA, I think you're going to hate on nine win Duke like that. Come on. Yeah, I just, I I don't know. And now we're going to bring in Mike Elko. Mike, welcome to the podcast. This is Mike Rodak. (laughs) He is hating on Duke football. A smaller school like that, I think is going to have a a tougher time. Yeah. It'd be interesting too. Well, how much does conference realignment play into this? Is North Carolina still in the ACC in six years? Uh, UCLA is obviously going to the big 10. Um, how does that impact UCLA football? Does that give them more of an opportunity in football? Is that a detriment to them in football? Like, I think it's possible. And again, I don't know if any of those schools would be winning national titles in football, but if you told me in 2024, when we're looking at the first 12-team playoff field that North Carolina's in it, I would say, yeah, that's that's plausible. If you told me UCLA's going to be in it, I'd say, yeah, that's plausible. I think Kansas, that, that's pretty good in Kansas. I think Duke, whoa, that's that's really... That's really out there, but Indiana but, absolutely not. Absolutely and then once not. you're in that 12 team playoff, yeah, I don't know if Indiana will be <laughs> in that. But once you're in a 12 team playoff, anything can happen, and that's the beauty of basketball, which is now being adopted to a, a lesser extent in football. Where you know who's to say Kansas can't walk in, I don't know, to Penn State or Washington or somewhere and, and win a first round playoff game, and then go to a bowl game as one of the final, what would it be, six teams that are left. And that's success in football. That's that's high level success. And I think that, yeah, it's definitely realistic. The the thing that I'm curious about as we head to the future is all of the realignment is based around two things: money and football. And basketball is riding sidecar in all of these discussions. So Kentucky's like, hey, we're a basketball school, but you're in the SEC, man. And you've known that all along. But by the way, Texas and Oklahoma aren't coming because of basketball. And UCLA's basketball program is a nice sidelight for the Big Ten. But that's L.A. money, baby, and it's USC football. So there's a part of me that wonders, Shahan, all this realignment as we form this way, does it mean those? it's all football-based? So will those schools then rise up in basketball as well because they have all this money? Or does it open the door for the people who are like, man, we're not part of that? This is like the Gonzaga-Villanova argument. of Like, we don't even mess with that. And maybe Duke would fit in there a little bit. Like Duke's in the ACC or whatever, but Duke's probably not going to wind up in the SEC. And they're always going to care about basketball first. Does it crack the door for that's actually what we're going to see more of in basketball? The places where it's not basketball first, it's practically basketball only. And we'll let these football guys have conferences that stretch from ocean to ocean and dominate football Saturdays in four different TV windows. And then when we get to March, we'll kick their butts in the basketball court. I, I don't think so. Because Oh, I think that was my <laughs> underdog underdog yeah. non football no. argument. So my my argument to that would be look at the Big East television contract. Look at the, you know, the, the Mountain West television contract. These these are good basketball leagues. I mean, Conference USA, by the way, has the CBI winner, the two finalists in the NIT, and a Final Four team. You know, that's not what drives money, right? And 
I do think that one thing that will become big to this is, first of all, you know, to go back to the question that you asked, Mike, I think that we are going to get away from the idea of basketball schools just punting on football because it is too important to realignment. I don't think that Kansas is going to let themselves be one in 11 for a decade, right? I I just don't think it's possible at this point. We've started to see more investment, like you said, in North Carolina football, in Duke football. It doesn't have to be everything. They don't have to be incredible, but they can't be a liability. They can't afford to be liabilities anymore in this new realignment world. Um, You know, do, do I see them... Uh, do I think that they can become national contenders? No, I don't think so. I think the reality is uh, it is much easier to find one Brandon Miller than it is to find a 25-man recruiting class of Brandon Millers if you are a basketball school looking for football players. That's fundamentally the reason why you have such advantages at football schools, I think, is because it's everything is extrapolated and exponential at that point because you have to do it across 85 scholarship players instead of 13 or whatever it is. Um, but I do think that we are going to see more investment on the football side at, uh, at basketball schools. I do think, um, the other part of this too is that there is real legitimate money to be made for conferences and athletic departments that understand how to leverage basketball. It, it's there. It's not going to be. $70 million, like what, what the Big Ten is going to get paid for football. But there's millions and millions of dollars that I think are being left on the table by these athletic departments not understanding how to leverage it. Actually, you know, again, I'm in Dallas. I, I went to a Big 12 school, but I think that Brett Yormark at the Big 12 office is doing a tremendous job of understanding how under leveraged some of these sports are. It doesn't have to be everything. You have to be good at football. That's your primary product. But I do think that we are going to start seeing you know, places like North Carolina and Duke and Kansas, and then all the way through some of those conferences as well saying, hey, you know what, if if the SEC and Big Ten are going to dominate football in that way, we also need to find new ways to make money and really kind of try to make up these gaps wherever we can. So I, I don't think that we're going to end up in a position where all of a sudden, uh, you know, schools start punting on football. I think it's just too important from a big picture perspective but I do think that we are going to end up in a position where hopefully long term we actually end up with more healthy athletic departments when you realize that, man, softball and volleyball are incredible sports. We should broadcast that, you know, women's basketball, men's basketball. You know, these are things that have real financial value if we find ways to monetize it. So, Mike, I'm going to throw you some numbers here. This is winning records the last 38 football seasons for some of these basketball powerhouses. Just winning record. Just like moderate success. 38 seasons. Kansas, six. Six winning records. Duke, nine. Indiana, nine. Purdue, 12. Kentucky, 13. Shout out to Mark Mangino. 2007 Kansas football, man. They got up to number two. They won the Orange Bowl. So that's the kind of thing. To me, Mike, at the moment, it feels like, because like you mentioned Lance Leipold, people went nuts for that Kansas football story this year. Shahan, they beat a team, like a good program, not quite a playoff program. I can't remember who Kansas beat. Was it Texas? Did they beat Texas? No, they didn't beat them this year. Oh, they beat them last year. Yeah, okay. Beat, I was trying to set up they a beat Texas them twice, joke, and I, I had but, the facts uh, Yeah, yeah, no, it, it wasn't that one. It wasn't that one. <laughs> so, like, but, people, but Kansas went up six and seven, right? Like, this is, it wasn't Nate Oates level. Like, it was nice. It was a nice story. They, they got off to a hot start. They kind of faded at the end. Alabama being good at basketball feels much more realistic than Kansas or Kentucky or Indiana or Duke 
doing the same thing in football, like to a national championship possibility level. As good as Mark Stoops is at Kentucky. And by the way, Kentucky, 13 winning records in the last 38 football seasons. It's six of the last seven and seven of the previous 31. If you wonder how difficult it is, what Stoops is doing at Kentucky, it's amazing. But it's still not Nate Oates level, Mike. Do we think it's just for now still and maybe forever? More likely that a football power rises up to a title level to compete for it in basketball than a basketball school rises up in football. For now, for now. I mean, eventually when they expand the college football playoff to 68 teams, then – Although by then, Greg Sankey might want the the basketball tournament to be 168 teams because he's been pushing for even more. So, um, you know, I I do think it is easier basketball-wise. And and you spoke to it a little bit with Brandon Miller earlier. Like, you get a Brandon Miller, it doesn't matter what the other 12 players in your team are. Like, you can go really deep with just one player in basketball. It's a smaller group of players. There's five players on the court. If you can hit on just one big guy like that, it puts you in a pretty good spot. Football, yeah, if you get that quarterback, I mean, I suppose, but even if you have, you know, a five-star quarterback and you're surrounded by a bunch of three-star kids, like, you know, let's throw Arch Manning at Kansas State. I don't think Arch Manning is turning Kansas State into, you know, a perennial national championship team. So it requires more on the football end to hit on more guys, to build it up, and that takes more money these days, NIL-wise. It just takes more resources than just trying to find a couple guys on a basketball team or just, you know, a coach that can pull five guys together uh, or, you know, eight or nine guys, if you want to include the entire rotation, pull them together to win a few games in March. That's a little bit different, I, I would say, than football that it's 85 guys. It's, you know, you're 22 guys that are starting and, and to fill all those roles is, is tough. So, Mike, I, I want to get one more last SEC lens question here. I guess, right, when we think about the SEC, and this includes Oklahoma and Texas coming in, is that everybody cares more about football than basketball except for Kentucky? Yeah. Is that? I think that's, that's still not, absolutely true. And I, okay. you know, I do a decent amount of, you know, radio here in Birmingham. And even those people will tell me, like, basketball still does not really sell from a radio standpoint that okay. people want to talk about football, people want to call in about football. But as Shahan said, SEC basketball the general level of it has risen in the past decade. So I don't know. What, what was the vibe of this SEC basketball season, right? Because like Tennessee's pretty good at basketball, right? And there's some other, like there's some SEC teams that can really matter. Like was there, did people get into it? Outside? My colleague on Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means at Ohio State described it as like, Ohio State football is sort of like your life and Ohio State basketball is your vacation. So you want your vacation to go well, but like if your vacation, if it rains on your vacation, it's like, ah, it rained on my vacation. But if your life is a mess, you're like, oh my God, I can't live this way. How much would that description apply to SEC basketball generally? Or did you see like people really care about SEC basketball this year? Yeah, I think people didn't care. I don't think it was a great, great season for SEC basketball. I mean, Kentucky was down. Um, Tennessee was really good and they kind of fell off, you know, in February they had, you know, the injury to Ziegler, which which changed things. Auburn wasn't really there to the same extent that they were. Um, you know, and I think part of it, you know, it's, it's always hard to come up with like a a explanation for everything that holds true for everyone, but Auburn has been down football wise for a little while now. And that's 
coincided with, you know, I think Bruce Pearl's rise there. Um, Tennessee had been down football wise for a while with, um, you know, Butch Jones and Pruitt. They just happened to come back this year, but that kind of gave Rick Barnes an opportunity. They gave Bruce Pearl an opportunity. It gave the fans something to, to grasp onto a little bit more than what they had on the football end. And, and that probably helps. Um, but I think sustaining that over a long period of time, if Auburn football gets good again, if Tennessee football gets good again, um, kind of keeping fans' attention on basketball instead of football, that can be tough to do long term. You know, I don't I don't know which direction it will go, but I don't know if it's like a powerhouse basketball. Like the Big Ten was down this year too, but I think long term the Big Ten is still going to be the better basketball conference because that's where there's more basketball fans than there is in the SEC. I think that this actually leads us to a a good point, which is I I do think one thing that's going to change this dynamic quite a bit is when everybody in the SEC is going seven and five and they need something to be nationally competitive in. Because the reality is with a 16 team, super competitive football conference, I mean, we've seen it already start to happen, right? Auburn takes half a step back and they're legitimately borderline bowl eligible at times. That is not a place that you expect Auburn football to be. And we're about to add two programs that are at least at Auburn's level, at least at Tennessee's level, at least at Florida's level. So I I think that will be an interesting dynamic of, you know, look, you can't have, I think, both of those programs both be bad at the same time. You have to pick one. South Carolina basketball not being very good doesn't matter all that much because women's basketball is good and, and football is good right now, right? So people don't care too much. I think it is going to be very interesting if we start seeing with some of these programs that maybe can't compete at the highest level in this new SEC and in this new football world, if we do see a renewed interest in basketball just for no other reason than because they need to win at something. Shahan, five-second answer, completely off topic. Is the Big 12 a men's basketball or a football conference? It's an everything conference. Don't, don't oh, you listen to their, their headline? <laughs> it, it, is a, it, is a, it is a basketball conference first and foremost, but it is a basketball conference that, that does... So, so when you look at the Big 12 and look at the schools involved, the schools involved love football more than basketball. They'd rather be good at football than basketball, but they are also... I think uh, people who are perfectly happy to have the thing that they're really good at and, and just be really competitive in football. That was interesting. I thought there was a good discussion about like h- how you go about trying to do this and will it change in the future? Hope you got a little history in there. Mike, tell people how they can follow you other than listening to you on Birmingham radio <laughs> from time to time. How can people follow your coverage? They can follow me on Twitter as some people do, um, you know, varying degrees and varying, uh, ways shall we say but uh on at, at mike rodak on twitter and uh if you want to chirp at me you certainly can join the club there um al.com as well you know the alabama crimson tide page you can find all of our stuff there and i do have one la- last question too uh you know i did notice in your in your twitter bio you're a, a providence grad so are they going to start a football program now that ed cooley has left for georgetown they had one back in the day I think <laughs> 1920s 1930s they had one but I mean, if any if any other sport's going to rise up at, at Providence, it's going to be hockey. You know, they, they had a really good <laughs> hockey team when I was there. So, I don't think football is is in the near is in the future there. It's one of those big East schools like St. John's that just kind of said, not even in the cards for us. Sorry, Doug. It turns out that your your Northeast football power question from last episode oh. it, it still doesn't look like it's going to happen in Providence. Oh. 
Yeah, Mike, we were trying to figure out if, if, if somebody in the Northeast could rise up. We were trying to see if it would be UNH. I didn't even think about Providence. If you know the idea at Providence, give them a call. And ask him if he wants Ryan Day and Chip Kelly to come be their football coach. The package coach. deal. It'll be great. Deal. We can get Joe Flacco to go up there. It'll be great. Yeah. I forgot to mention, I think maybe Ryan Day and Chip Kelly could get Tom Brady to be the quarterback's coach at New England School to be named later that we're trying to be able to do a football power. Lord knows uh, he knows, needs something to get to right yeah, now. Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen. Just hang out. New Hampshire, too. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. New Hampshire, too, isn't he? How could you have, you have a New Hampshire mafia? There's there's no good football there. So that's what we're just trying to We'd like to spread the wealth around. Also, Mike being modest, among the people who might be following him on Twitter, Wim Sanderson. <laughs> So, like, join Wimp and follow Mike Rodak's coverage of Alabama sports. He brings you everything. Mike, we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to join us here. Shahan, available at cbssports.com, as always, and grateful for you guys for listening to this episode of the show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any for now. For Mike and Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.